Blog Talk Radio. Hey, good morning, everybody. Good morning, and thank you so much for joining us today. This is Kim with Black Free Thinkers, and we are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself, not convert you. One more time, I'll say that, and we are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself, not convert you. So it's a lot that's been happening. Last week we started um, the show, and I ended up turning it into a two-parter. Hopefully we'll be able to conclude this weekend. But um, it was titled Dear White Allies, Part 1, and today is Dear White Allies, Part 2. And so in the episode last week, we just talked about a number of things. Um, Primarily, we talked about uh, what was happening with the Charleston Massacre and how it affected us, you know, us as individuals and somewhat how it affected the community and some of our thoughts on that. And basically, um, you know, what's interesting is, you know, some more developments have happened in that case as, you know, it's a fresh case, so it's going to take some time for them to kind of sort some things out. But I know one of the hot topics that we discussed last week was forgiveness. And this rush to forgive white racists, you know, people that hurt you, um, just a number of things like that. And I know um, Raina and I made it quite clear that, no, it's not quite that easy. You know, we're not going to just forgive people just automatically because that's what's expected of us. You know, one of the things that I talked about last week was how when you, quote, unquote, forgive somebody, in a manner in which, you know, it seems as though we're always expected as people of color, it gives your power away, very little power that you still have. And so we have to be very careful with that. It was another article online I've been trying to find. I can't find it, but I will. But it talks about the word forgive, and it talks about how the word forgive is a legal term. And Dr. Anthea Butler um, wrote something about the Charleston Massacre, and she said that forgiveness is rooted in, you know, religion. However, the forget part is rooted in racism, because you have people out here that will tell you to forgive and forget. And, you know, (laughs) it's interesting. Um, I remember when, you know, uh, I was in church, and let's just say it was something happening, you know, because it was different scenarios. But in a couple of personal scenarios, um, I remember when I had some of the church folks trying to convince me to forgive and forget, saying that I was supposed to, you know, throw those memories into the sea of forgetfulness and, and move on. Yet, Whenever there was a discussion, they would bring up something that happened years ago, and it was just the funniest thing ever. It's like, oh, so you remember and you bring this up, but I'm supposed to forget all of this other stuff. So it's just it's interesting because, you know, you have a lot of different people in this world, and some people use that as a manipulation tool. So you just have to be careful. You have to 
think about all of these things, um, you know, you have to just take a broader look at it and understand, you know, what it may create or what it may implicate or what have you. Because, you know, I'm sorry, if someone would have done to people that I love what happened in Charleston, I, I can honestly tell you, I would not be forgiving anybody or forgetting, you know, what has happened. You know, some of the pictures came out over the weekend of, you know, the funerals that have just started. Um, President Obama gave the eulogy for Reverend Pickney. And just to see some of the faces. I mean, I posted one picture of Ethel Lance's grandson. Um, her grandson, he was standing by her coffin. It was at the burial, right? And you can just see all the pain in his face, you know, and it just, it hurts. Just, you know, and that was, you know, that was the only one that I posted, but there were several pictures out there. And um, this is just a senseless crime, a senseless crime. So, you know, this is one of the reasons why we're going to talk about a number of things today, but I definitely want to talk about our allies a little bit more and white terrorism. Because, you know, there were some articles, and I think I posted one or two um, earlier this week, and it was talking about how America is pretty much glossing over and refusing to address, you know, some of the issues that we're having with white men in this particular country, Um, how a lot of these acts are, you know, committed by white men, but then people try to explain or reason or justify it away. And there really isn't any way to justify, um, you know, what has been happening. This makes absolutely no sense. And, you know, some of it is based on fear. Some of it is based on hate. And some people will say that that hate is fear. I'm not sure, I'm not a therapist, I'm not quite sure, but, you know, whatever it is, you know, it's that one particular person's problem. And so, you know, people were talking about, because I remember having a conversation with someone right before the 2008 election, and we were talking about President Obama, and, you know, basically she was saying that once President Obama was elected, that all of the racism would go away. And, you know, I looked at her, you know, <laughs> really strange. And I asked her, I said, do you really believe that? And she said, yes. And she was like, but I'm going to go home and talk to my husband about it. I'm like, okay, you do that. So I saw the young lady or the young woman again the next week. And we talked again about, you know, uh, President Obama, you know, being elected first black president, what have you. And, you know, she was like, oh, yeah, what we were talking about last week. And she was like, well, I don't necessarily think, you know, that all the racism will go away, just most of it. And I looked at her and I started laughing and I said, you believe that? And she said, yes. And I'm like, no, it's going to get worse. And when President Obama was elected, you know, these hate groups were popping up all over the place. 
And so I remember, you know, reading about that. And, you know, I hope she remembers our conversation. But, you know, when he was elected, you know, <laughs> it's just interesting because you have these people out here um, that make, you know, all of these references. So, you know, David Duke, you know, he left this country, but he was being kicked out of almost every country in Europe, which was funny to me. But it's just interesting because, you know, we had some developments over this past week. Um, the Supreme Court ruled in favor of marriage equality across the board being enforced, you know, in this country. So basically all 50 states have to recognize, you know, same gender loving couples when they present, you know, um, an application for a marriage license and what have you. And so it's just interesting because Mississippi is now saying that they're not going to offer, you know, uh, you know, they're going to try to abolish marriage across the board, which is going to be really interesting um, in that state. So we'll watch it, but, you know, federal law, Trump's state law, um, which is interesting. But, yeah, we'll, we'll keep an eye on that and see what's happening. But, you know, while the ruling for, you know, marriage equality was absolutely wonderful, you know, I agree with that. I feel that everybody should have the right to get married or, you know, have civil unions or what have you. Um, But it was hard for me to celebrate knowing that, you know, there are still churches being burned down all around this country, that there are young black men and women and, you know, just black men and women, boys and girls across the board that are being, you know, killed out in the street for no reason. And, you know, it's been stated, and we've talked about this before, about how, you know, members of these, you know, hate groups were joining the military, were joining police forces, so that they could learn some of the tactical and strategic moves so that they can go back and have their training camps and train their people and still be entrenched in the system. And, you know, this has been known for a while, and nothing was done. Nothing happened. And so now we're dealing with some of the consequences of that, and we just have to address it, stay on top of it, and, you know, figure out what our next steps are. And so... It's just important, but the nine people that lost their lives, I mean, you know, their families, I i can't imagine the pain. I can't imagine it. So now they're being known as the Charleston Nine. And like I said, my heart goes out to them and everybody, you know, that's been affected by this. I mean, I was affected by it. You know, I'm pretty sure my next-door neighbor was affected by it, although we haven't had the conversation. But, you know, as, you know, a nation, as a whole, everybody has been affected by this one way or another. And basically, you know, um, it's a healing, healing process. But while we go through this healing process, there's still a bigger conversation that needs to be had. And that bigger conversation does not revolve around the Confederate flag. You know, so I want to make sure that we don't get distracted because, you know, I'm starting to feel as though the federal, I mean, sorry, the Confederate flag, you know, that they're offering up is just basically to 
you know, um, pacify the black community when there's a much greater conversation that needs to be had. We need to be talking about racism, white supremacy, institutionalized racism, systemic racism. You know, we need to be talking about incarceration, the school-to-prison pipeline. We need to be talking about education, lack of education. Hell, we need to be talking about revamping the whole educational system in this country. You know, and Marva Collins died this week. You know, that was, you know, very hurtful to hear. And, you know, the reason why I'm thinking about it is because of education. You know, she, you know, this woman was remarkable. So if you get a chance, go out and do a Google search for Marva Collins, M-A-R-V-A-C-O-L-L-I-N-S. You know, wonderful woman. And we need to be talking about economic viability and a number of other things. You know, um, what made some of these other campaigns, now let's be honest, you know, the, the LGBTQ movement, they strategize and put together, you know, their agenda based on what they learned from the civil rights movement, from something that we had already implemented. And so now, you know, because they're a very, very small percentage of the population. And so we have to look at that. We're a bigger percentage. So there are a lot of things that we need to talk about. We need to talk about, you know, uh, the economics and how to bring this, you know, bring this country to its knees. We need to talk about how we can do collective economic, um, collective economic um, strategies in an effort to get attention, you know, from, you know, the powers that be. Because the only time they, you know, really understand or pay attention is when you hit them in a pocketbook. You know, that's anybody. But going back to the LGBTQ community, excuse me, and the Supreme Court decision, (laughs) now you've heard us talk about this, you know, on several occasions about how, you know, the LGBTQ community hasn't even dealt with some of the major issues in their own community. There is a lot of racism in the LGBT community. There's a lot of transphobia in the LGBT community. You have sexism, misogyny, white male privilege, of course. Uh, And these are things that need to be addressed. And what added insult to injury, you know, um, regarding, you know, as far as, like, my feelings are concerned, was when, you know, the Supreme Court made their decision some of the white activists posted this cartoon and it was, you know, supposed to emulate, you know, the two black Olympians who raised their fists at the Olympics, you know, when they won their medals. And, you know, it was just a controversial moment, right? And so they substituted those two black male Olympians with two white men. And you know, I'm sitting there, and, you know, I'm trying to be happy about this ruling, but I'm like, here it is in a nutshell. You know, what they're saying is, you know, the win for, you know, the LGBTQ community was basically for white men. And this is something that we have discussed on a number of occasions, and, you know, there it was right there in your face. And... It's just amazing. So someone fixed the picture, and now it has, you know, you know, two 
African-American um, people on there. And so I'm like, okay, so we finally added some intersectionality to it, you know, because what they did when they made it to two white men, they missed out on an opportunity to show that they were intersectional and that, you know, they wanted to work with other people and other groups because while many of us in the LGBTQ community, you know, we're celebrating marriage equality. That's first and foremost. But, you know, when I walk out the house, the first thing people see is a black person. They don't know anything about all of the other things until I tell them. And so it's just interesting because whenever these other groups have a movement, you know, the LGBTQ community, the atheist communities, you know, the feminist communities, so on and so forth, they always expect black people to join in with them and to support them. But when it comes to our issues, you know, it's crickets and tumbleweeds. They're nowhere around, you know, unless they're throwing us under the bus. And so it's just really interesting. Hey, Raina, good morning. Hey, good morning. How are you? I'm okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, you know, I was just giving, you know, a general overview of what we talked about last week and some of my thoughts, you know, this week after that very, very important decision. And the Supreme Court made several decisions that you all should not sleep on. Um, one decision, it was talking about unconscious bias, unconscious racism. Don't sleep on it go back and do some research and, and see what that means. That right there, you know, that is pivotal. That that decision, you know, is 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 wonderful, especially coming from them. And so, you know, it's going to help us in a lot of different ways, you know, because, you know, there's this thing called unconscious bias. And, you know, you have people out here who are the first ones to say that I'm not racist, I'm not biased, but then subconsciously they make certain decisions. And I posted an article, um, and it was talking about how racism affects black people, you know, and our mortality rates and a number of other things. So go out and read that. So I know one of the things that Raina wanted to do with this week's show was, you know, we were talking about, you know, the domestic terrorist assassin, and you know his ties. Well, I say to, that we, it was something we had spoke, spoken about. It wasn't just my idea, but, <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> we were talking about Dylan. I mean, we were talking about Dylan Roth or Ruth or whatever his name is, and we were trying to. Um, we wanted to talk about why it was um, important that he um, that he was talking about, you know, Rhodesia and um, South mm-hmm. Africa or whatnot. But I think that that would probably be best on its own show. And I think I, we, we spoke about that, and that's what I said the last time that we, we talked about it. So, um, Right, right. Yeah. But I just give um, people a little bit of insight on that because, you know, if you go back and you look at the Rhodesian flag and the history of it, and, you know, it's tied to U.S. conservatism. And so, you know, you need to go back and look because it's tied to not only the mainstream U.S. conservatism, but also the extremists as well. And so, um, you know, you have people like John Bircher and white nationalists and, you know, uh, 
of the conservatives political, uh, <laughs> you know, that the that, Council of Conservative Citizens, which used to be the White Citizens Council. Right. Yeah. Exactly. All of these groups, they all, they all have an affinity for these um, countries that used to operate under white rule. Um, and so, exactly. you know, you have to pay attention to that. I mean, the history with, you know, um, Zimbabwe, which was formerly known as Rhodesia, and it goes back to like the 1200s. And, you know, they didn't gain their freedom from white rule completely until 1980. Um, and, you know, there's uh, lots of controversy about, you know, how, you know, Robert Mugabe and, you know, various other leaders within the continent of Africa have responded to um, white citizens or um, other groups that have um, that have you know made a home in in those countries and how they've treated them and talking about how they've you know reclaimed land and all of these sorts of things. But one has to remember that the land and things that they're reclaiming was stolen to begin with. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So go back out and read and see how. You know, a lot of the white conservatives in this country, they rallied around the Rhodesia flag in the same manner that they're rallying around the Confederate flag. So, you know, and how, you know, it's tied to white supremacy. And it's just, it's a very interesting history. And like Raina said, we're going to do another show on it. But, you know, I just kind of want to give you all a taste as to why it's important to pay attention to this. And, you know, I'm just going to segue into, you know, the Confederate flag and what happened um, this weekend. You know, I must say, Miss Bree Newsom, she shimmied up that pole and she brought it down. She brought that flag down. And, you know, I was honored to be able to contribute to, you know, her fund. And, I believe Michael Moore paid for her bill, and he's yeah, going to also yeah. Absolutely. yeah, and he's also pay for her legal expenses as well. So the monies that we donated will go towards you know organizing and and the protests and all of you know what's happening in this country. But you know I had to definitely give a shout out to Miss Bree Newsom. And I for, didn't know uh, this, but she we we went to we um. Went, Hold on one moment, please. I'm sorry. I'll be right back. Okay. <laughs> but what she did was absolutely awesome. And so, you know, yesterday I posted several links, you know, specifically talking about Miss Newsom and her activism. And, I you know, I had to him. I had something I had to respond to. I okay. Um, in any case, I was going to say that um, I didn't know this until this morning, until I read it in the Baltimore Sun. But Bree Newsom is um, went to school in my in my county, in Howard County, where I attended school um, in Maryland, and um, she was a part of the BSAP program. So shout out to the BSAP because Yay. because the BSAP program is a is a great program, um, and it definitely. Um, taught us all a lot about activism, a lot about, you know, um, our history. Um, it, you know, and it fosters a love for, you know, for one's history and one's culture and one's community. So I, uh, 
I thought that was really neat. I had no idea that we, that I had a, that we shared a, a connection in a way, you know? So I'm like, I, I, it just, it just goes to show you just how important like those early experiences are, you know, exactly. and how they can shape people. So. Exactly. And I thought it was wonderful, you know, what she did. And so, yeah. you know, she got up there and, you know, what's interesting is ha, they arrested her and then they made two black, you know, custodians or employees put the flag back up. And a lot of people aren't aware that they posted, um, you know, black, na- not national, Guard, but black state troopers out there. So they had the black people put the flag back up and then they had black state troopers out there. So it's just interesting, you know, little subliminal messages that they're sending out and doing whatever they want to do in regards to protecting themselves. So, um, (laughs) you know, that was one of the exciting, you know, events over the weekend. And so, you know, I've been thinking about it, thinking about it, and, you know, it's just interesting. Because, like I said, if you're black and you're a part of the LGBTQ community, you know, I was kind of torn. I was torn. I was like, well, I'm happy for this. You know, my heart was still heavy because, you know, there are more and more people being killed. I mean, it was another unarmed black man that was killed in Baltimore. Yeah, I know about that. Yeah, so we must remember these things mm-hmm. because, yeah. you know, people are losing their lives. And like I said, when they, when they produced that cartoon and it showed just two white men with their fists up, you know, here we go with the, you know, appropriation. Erasure. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly, 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 erasure. And that's why we were saying they could have put, you know, two, you know, women of color up there. They would have put two, you know, two of the founders. Honestly, I don't even understand why that would have to be in there at all. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, why use that particular moment of history? There are so many other moments in history that that relate more closely. You know what I mean? Right. Um, That Mm -hmm. would have been, you know, um, less controversial. But certainly if you're going to use that particular moment in history, I would think that using two black, you know, queer bodies as opposed exactly. to two white men would be a better choice, you know, but that's just exactly. No, um, And you're right, you know, because, I mean, they could have shown intersectionality. I mean, there was a way that they could have used that situation, but the thing is, is that, and I agree with you, you know, why did they use that specific picture? And it goes back to something that we were talking about, you know, yeah. <laughs> you know, appropriation, you know, and, and they want to talk about the civil rights movement and how this was their civil rights movement. They want to invoke the name of King and, you know, um, you know, Sojourner Truth and, you know, just a number of people from the black community, but yet you haven't even dealt with the issues in your own community regarding racism, you know, and, and a number of other things. So, again, it's more so, you know, people want, to, you know, embrace, you know, our wins, you know, or our, you know, uh, experiences to a certain degree, but they don't want to be black. So 
so, you know, like I told Raina, you know, we haven't really said too much about Rachel. I'm kind of done with Rachel. But the only white woman that I will, you know, consider as transracial is Tina Marie. That's about it. So, and she gives Tina Marie a pass and I don't. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Tina Marie was an awesome singer and, you know, she definitely gets a day pass for black men. <laughs> Occasionally, like, you know, how you go to the park and you can get a season pass or a day pass. She would get a day pass, but she definitely was not a black woman and not. So that's just how I feel about it. Exactly. exactly. She can come to the picnic. She can play spades and dominoes, but Yeah, she likes to take the wig, you know how that goes, you know, but, um, yeah, and so, you know, you know, I'm kind of being a little facetious there because... I know, I know, know, I know, I'm just messing with you. <laughs> oh, yeah, oh, yeah, but see, you know, this is a learning moment for everybody, you know, so mm-hmm. with Tina Marie, remember she was signed to Motown Records, and, you know, Barry Gordy and Smokey Robinson's accounting practices were a little questionable to some people. And so Tina Marie took them to court, and she won. And, you know, her win in court um, enabled a number of other artists of color to come back and collect royalties and monies that were owed them. So, you know, her white female privilege, you know, that never went away. Even though, you know, we considered her, hey, she, she's an honorary black person, she still had that white privilege, and it worked for her, and, you know, it benefited some people of color as well. So go out, look for that. So we're not here to talk about Tina Marie Sue and everybody and Rick James and all of that. So anyway, uh, mm-hmm. I just wanted to have a little levity to Every it. Time, because... like now, now I'm thinking about fire and desire, dude. <laughs> yes. <laughs> And that's when I went to school with Dr. Khalil Muhammad and a number of other 
notables from the Chicagoland area. There were a lot of programs like that um, around the country. So you know, not enough, and it doesn't, and they definitely don't get funded as much as they ought to. But um, certainly, I was glad growing up in the county, you know, in Howard County, where you know, um, you know, where they try to teach us um, all things post-racial. Um, that we had that program. <laughs> so, yeah. Right. There you go. There you go. And so, you know, we have to look at all of this and what's happening around us, you know, a little differently. You know, we have to teach these children about activism. You know, some of us have to learn more about activism. You know, last week I talked about active and passive resistance, and I think we're going to do a show on that, and we're going to get someone to come on so that they can give you all some tips as to, you know, how to be actively engaged and how to be passively engaged and the difference between the two. I posted an article yesterday and, you know, it was entitled, We Will Shoot Back. And it kind of ties in, you know, and Robert Gross actually posted it on my wall first. So I want to give him a shout out. And, you know, um, Sincopa Brown, you know, you know, <laughs> he gave a great interview. And out of that, you know, it kind of ties in with, you know, what I said last week about us knowing how to defend ourselves, you know, in any situation, whether it's defending ourselves with history and words or defending ourselves with some type of, you know, firearm or some type, like I said, a crossbow, you got martial arts, you have street fighting, wrestling moves, you know, hell, go get you some bear spray. You something, you know, because it's like you, we don't have a choice. But anyway, from, from that article and what, you know, Mr. Brown had conveyed is in August for National Gun Registry Day that all around the country, they're going to have black instructors um, putting together some forums so that you can go there and learn the safety of how to handle a weapon, they are going to teach you how to clean your weapon and, you know, a number of other things, you know, around gun safety. So that will be happening in August all around the country. And I will get more information to you guys as soon as I get it. Because for those of you, you know, just because you bought a weapon, that does not mean you know how to use it. You know, so, you know, we've had too many incidents whereas people had, you know, weapons and then mistakenly shot, you know, little Fifi the poodle. So, you know, you don't want to do that and traumatize your kid because now you've, you know, executed the pet. So, um, you know, it's important that you understand about gun safety, gun maintenance, you know, go to the range and learn how to fire and shoot and aim and, you know, a number of different things um, happening out there. So, all right, Raina, you know, um, (laughs) my question to you is, you know, how do you argue Black Lives Matter when you forgive everyone for taking them? I mean, I don't think, I don't think it's up to black people to, um, okay, so, so, okay, so I have a problem with that. (laughs) I have a problem with that. Like, as the problem that I have, hold on. Hold on, I was going to say, I have a problem with that. And, the pro- and, and I know you didn't come up with this, so, like, I know it doesn't come from you. But um, the reason I have a problem with that is, um, you know, just because I personally don't co-sign black people who, you know, 
forgiving, you know, white people who do these horrible things to our to people in our community does not necessarily mean that I um, equate their forgiveness with not valuing black lives. I think we need to talk about the white people who go out of their way to destroy black life. And I think that's who we need to focus on. Exactly. You know, I'm right there with you. And I put that question out there on purpose because I want people to think about it. You know, when you use the word forgive, and, you know, like we said, the way that they're using it now as far as forgetting, you know, is part of, you know, racist strategy. But, you know, forgive is a legal term. And I would advise you all to go out there and do some research on the word forgive and the legalities of it. So it's important. But, no, I'm right there, you know, with you, Raina. That's why we're talking about white allies today. But I wanted to put that question out there because, you know, I'm seeing all of these different reactions, and that's wonderful because whether I agree with your reaction or not, at least you're thinking. You know, and that's what I want now. Even though some of that thinking is wrong, you know, even though some of that thinking is wrong, it's like okay. So let us help you out a little, a little bit. Remember, remember, y'all. Remember, y'all. The 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 opinions on this program expressed by the host and guests are their own. Right, right, right. Because I will be the first one to tell you, nope, you're wrong, and I don't give a fuck what you're thinking because you're thinking is stupid. Yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> well, you, you heard the last part. So I said, well, let us yeah. help you out and help you get this back on track. You know, but, you know, you still have people out there that no matter what we say, no matter how much evidence we produce, they're not going to listen to us okay. because they yeah, they've been conditioned. You know, you have, you know, some men out here that have been conditioned not to listen to women. You have some people out here, black and white, that have been conditioned not to listen to black people. And if you're a black woman, you may as well have sat it down and forget about it. And Girl, serve forget it. Yeah, that's, I yeah. know. <laughs> So, you know, we have to talk about all of that. And see, what a lot of people aren't recognizing is, all of these different movements that have been happening, if it wasn't for women, and in particular black women as far as the movements in the black community, if it wasn't for the black women, these movements never would have been successful. They never would have, you know, um, you know, been able to be funded. I mean, so, and it's interesting because black women founded the majority of these movements, and yet they're being factored out. And so this is what we mean when we're talking about the erasure of black women from history and just the erasure of black women, period. You know, example number one is Rachel. You know, mm-hmm. and, and it's just interesting you because... Rachel. Rachel who? Rachel Dolezal. When, you know, oh, not okay, only, I thought she meant she was being erased. I'm sorry, girl. I'm sorry. I had a brain fart moment. Go ahead. I'm sorry. <laughs> right. I mean, I mean, that's that's you know the best example that I can give right now. You know, I'm still thinking about more. There are more, but you know that was the latest example. You know, it it, it wasn't enough to appropriate our culture and to appropriate you know our pain. She wanted to be us. So you mm-hmm. know, just right. It's it's just it's crazy. So anyway, so, I mean, it looks like we're 
waking up, you know, some of us are waking up, but nothing has really changed. And that's what we need to focus on and what we need to change because, you know, we need to talk about poverty. We need to be out here talking about racism, white supremacy, of course, talking about how capitalism is profitable at our expense, you know, and how we all contribute to capitalism and white supremacy. We do. Um, And, you know, earlier, like I said, we need to talk about group economics as a form of defense. So when I say, you know, we need to have self-defense, I'm talking on a number of different levels. You know, when you get an onion, there are several different layers you have to peel away at at an onion. And so this is what I'm talking about, you know. So not only self-defense as, you know, protecting you, your property, and your family, but also, you know, like I said, group economics as a form of defense. This is what will really bring them to their needs because we have been conditioned to be consumers, you know, so that ties into the capitalism and, you know, white supremacy. And we need to talk about these things, you know, because, like I say, people pay attention when you take their money away from them. And I know that to be a reality. And so, you know, we need to talk about... um, reactionary activism, you know, and basically what, you know, we're talking about when we say that is, you know, whatever that we're out here doing, our methodologies, you know, uh, you know, even when we go out to buy supplies and what have you to, to fund, you know, the activists and to feed the activists and all of that, you know, who doesn't benefit more? does it benefit the system that we're railing against more than it does our own community? So, you know, these are things that we definitely need to talk about, we need to think about, we need to go and do some research on. Um, we're just going to have to do some things differently, y'all. We're going to have to. Um, and, you know, what's interesting You know how we always talk about giving each other love, you know, giving out love, but when it comes to us receiving love from others, you know, everything goes silent. You know, and so, you know, my thing is, is that with our white allies, you know, you want to talk about, you know, giving us love and how you love our culture and how you love black people and all of this. Well, I'm at the point now, I don't even really want you to talk to me unless you're seriously ready to engage and diminish diminish white racist pathology. Because I'm tired of it. You know, I posted some information from Malcolm X's book, and it talked about white allies. And I would strongly encourage you guys to go read that and then do it. Because you know, I was also need... thinking, oh, sorry, go ahead. Mm-hmm. No, no, I'm No, no, finish your thought. I'm good. No, you were, fin- finish your thought. Okay. <laughs> yeah, you know, in two seconds, I'm not going to remember it. But, yeah, go on and, you know, read what I posted about Malcolm X and white allies. And, you know, I posted some information last week on white allies. We're going to probably talk a little bit more about some of those today, but if not, you know, there's a lot of information out there for you guys to read, you know, to engage us, 
And like I said, it's it's just really interesting, especially in a secular community. You know, it's interesting because I saw some pictures the other day, and, you know, one of them said, I'm a black humanist, and black lives matter. And one said, I'm a black atheist, and black lives matter. And that's all well and good. But, you know, the powers that be in this community, namely, you know, the larger white secular organizations, and even, you know, a couple of black organizations out here, they don't necessarily believe that black lives matter. They don't give a shit. And so, you know, you can post those pictures all you want. You can make them your profile, what have you. What are you doing to, you know, affect change in the secular community? And, you know, I'm not just putting it on the people because, I mean, these organizations, like I said, you know, they're eerily silent when it comes to things like this. But they were damn near breaking their fingers to congratulate the LGBTQ community. And that speaks volumes. And like I said last week, I didn't even bother to go see, you know, if these organizations posted, um, you know, any statements regarding what happened in Charleston. I know um, a couple of people of color posted statements on, you know, on behalf of a couple of these organizations. But the thing is, is that, you know, these are people that have been talking about social justice, like supremacy, all along. And so, you know, it goes to more, um, you know, it's more insidious. Uh, and it's just, you know, we need to examine these things. And like I said, follow the money. Anyway, Raina, go ahead. No, I was just going to say that um, there was, you know, I was uh, watching a documentary about um, a cult, I think, called the Source Family. And, uh, you know, in the 1960s, and it just dawned on me, you know, um, you know, because we talk a lot about, um, you know, white allyship and all of that sort of stuff. And I think, and you know what, I think something that we don't talk a lot about is the failure of white allies during the 1960s, because a lot of white people just tuned the fuck out. Like, exactly. racism and discrimination was just way too difficult for them to deal with you know, from a mental standpoint, or they weren't willing to necessarily do what it took, you know, to make those Mm -hmm. kinds of sacrifices. And so they just tuned the fuck out. They just got high (laughs) and had a lot of sex and did a lot of drugs and a lot of meditation while black people were out there marching for their lives. Exactly. And I I just think it's really interesting to think about, you know. Oh, yeah. Very much so. And and one of the things that, you know, I'm going to just put this in here. You know, I'm telling you to read that, you know, the, the two pages from Malcolm X autobiography. You know, he was talking about, you know, a lot of white people wanted to be our allies then. And even now there are a lot of white people that want to be our allies. Some of them, they don't know where to start. They don't know what to do. And this is why it's important for them to engage us. You know, and, you know, like I said, Joe Groomer, you know, he walked up to a black church, and he's a white atheist, and he was like, how can I help? More of you all should be doing that. How can I help? 
what can I do? You know, and, you know, there are some people that can't do anything. I understand. I understand. But, you know, you can, you know, leave a positive message or, you know, call and encourage, you know, some of these people, something. Every little bit. Well, I think, I think, I'll tell you one, one thing I think that white people can do. And um, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's what um, the Southern Poverty, Poverty Leadership um, uh, Center and, um, you know, uh, their director, uh, Stephen Cohen, um, did last week when he was writing about um, these organizations that are basically out here spreading white supremacist, um, for lack of a better word, theology, right? Um, basically um, indoctrinating people across the across the globe, you know, in much the same way that, you know, our government and um, so-called terrorist specialists or terrorist, you know, um, academicians say that ISIS and Al-Qaeda are supposedly, you know, going out here to recruit. And I'm not saying that, there, that there's no evidence to show that, you know, that these recruiting methods are being utilized, right? But I think that there go, there's much more going into it than just a simple recruiting, right? There's, there's a lot of other things going on, you know, economic factors and whatnot that we must consider, you know, going on with some of these people who are attracted to joining up with Al-Qaeda, right? Mm -hmm. But um, I think that we need to um, also recognize that these same same methods are being utilized by uh, organizations that are interested in reestablishing or reinforcing global white supremacy. Um, Exactly. there's There's these movements all over the Internet, all online, um, and I had I had seen I've seen and come across them various times and in my uh, you know in my you know my browsing of the internet and I had brushed them off as you know being very um, you know very fringe for a number of years but now I'm seeing that this is becoming a lot more mainstream and you can find some of the the uh, language filtering its way into CNN right or to uh, especially onto Fox News. And becoming much more mainstream in the way that it's um, being utilized, and so we have to be very careful. And some of it is rooted in a white, you know, white Christian identity, you know. Exactly. Um, but not all of it is, and um, there's there's a lot of ways that it's that it's coming out, and we need to be aware of it. And I think that our white allies need to be aware of it, and I think that they they actively that is one place where they can actively get involved in um, in terms of, you know, helping to um, assert that Black Lives Matter is to get a hold of um, these, uh, of people in your community or people in your family who spread or um, believe in this sort of doctrine and, um, and work on them, you know, talk to them, you know, disseminate correct information, you know. Look for places in your own thinking where this where this ideology matches up, and work and and understand why that is. You know, um, the the whole. I mean, there's it's not an accident that a that a 21 year old kid has a 150 year old um, trope in his mind about why black people should die and what is wrong right. with you know with black people in 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 this country. It's it's not an accident. It's it's purposeful. Exactly. And and some of these organizations receive our tax dollars 
and they don't and and mm-hmm. you know I mean it is crazy we have we have an apparatus in this country that seeks out any money that may potentially trickle its way to foreign terrorists but for domestic terrorists we we have completely uh, turned a blind eye because exactly. of this this this, this this politicalization of these white supremacist beliefs that has happened with the Republican Party. And so now any any right-wing organization that is legitimately engaged in trying to recruit these men, these young men who have nothing to look forward to into doing these types of things, we can't even look into them because exactly. the Republican Party has basically made it um, impossible to do so without being accused of being um, partisan. Exactly, exactly, and and you're right, and I posted an article um, earlier this week, and it was talking about the domestic terrorist assassin, and they were saying if if he scared you, if what happened in Charleston scared you, you need to look at what else is happening, you know, this is what you really should be afraid of, and it talks about that, and, Mm -hmm. you know, people aren't paying attention, and I'm like, you all need to see what's going on out here because we need to be more proactive as opposed to reactive, you know, and, and it's I mean, just and, and, I mean, just, I mean, we need to, we need to understand history and not, um, and learn how not to see these events as, um, as being, um, you know, solitary, right, or, or unconnected to other events. So, you know, we all remember or most of us remember um, the the Kansas City Federal Building bombing, right? You know that was right. done by white supremacists. You know, Terry right. um, Nichols and and the other gentleman or whatever his name was, they were both white supremacists, um, and you know, um, motivated by incidents like Ruby Ridge and Waco, and um, right. You know, all of these other things. I mean, these are things that they were motivated by, I mean, and there's, I mean, all sorts of um, sickness that, that they engage in, you know, talking about um, beheading 88 people and um, what was it, I forget, there's like an affinity for white supremacists in the numbers 14 and 88, so 88 is like um, eight, the eighth letter of the alphabet is H, so HH is Heil Hitler, and then like 14 is something else, I forget what it was, but you know, I mean, there's all of this shit that's out here and all of this imagery, and I feel like our white allies are missing opportunities to help. Like, you don't necessarily have to be at every Black Lives Matter march. Go and work on your white friends. You know what I mean? <laughs> work on your white family members. Like, seriously, like you all are missing fucking opportunities. You all want to sit over here and, and, and you know, basically sit in the background and, and be on the right side of history and, you know, show empathy. No, I want you to do the fucking hard work out here of making sure that your family members and your and your white friends understand that the shit that they are holding on to is hateful and it's fucked up and it, it comes and it comes from a a, a sickness, a, a a disease of a, that that craves supremacy and this desire to to beat down and dehumanize other people. Like, this is what I want you to work on. Like, I could give a fuck if you're at the, par- at, the, at the march. I want you at the fucking white citizens council meetings going on in your fucking neighborhood. That's where I want you. I want you subverting shit. That's what I want you to do. 
Exactly. And, you know, we talked about how with some of these, you know, white liberals, how, you know, they talk one way when the cameras are on or a person of color is in the room or, you know, a part of the conversation and how some of those conversations change when there are no people of color around. And, you know, there are racist white liberals. I'm sorry. It, it just, that's what it is. You know, you have mm-hmm. some, you need to work on them, and you need to talk to them and see what's happening. Because, like I said, not everybody who calls themselves an ally is a friend. You know, mm-hmm. some of the ones that are calling themselves allies, they're really frenemies or enemies in some cases, you know, or sent there to keep an eye on us. And this is where you all get some of the pushback. Because there are too many, you know, white allies that will tell us to wait, wait, you know, your turn, your turn, your your turn or your time is coming, just wait. We've been waiting for a long damn time, and we can't wait anymore, especially when you have the FBI director insisting that what the domestic terrorist assassin did was not political. Right. When the, when the, when, the, like, when that. Go ahead, honey. Yeah, and also, also, fuck any of you who are out here talking about white, like, black people should just wait and be patient. And meanwhile, you're fucking watching The Hunger Games and Les Mis. Fuck you. Okay? You like Les Mis and you like The Hunger Games and you're out here talking shit about black people burning shit down. Shit that was fucked up to begin with, first of all. So even if they're burning down their own shit, the shit that they had was fucked up to begin with by design. Okay? For real. So, mm-hmm. get some history, learn some fucking history, and stop trying to shame black people for what are really human reactions to fucked up situations that have been going on for more than 400 years, okay? Yeah, let's deal with exactly. that. And some of the reactions that you see coming from us, guess who taught us that? So, you think about it. It doesn't matter who, I mean, I mean, it's not really about who taught us that, it's it's a human reaction, like human beings, and I mean, we don't we don't respond well to oppression. Okay, that's why we had that's why we had the American Civil War. That's why you had the French Revolution. That's why you had all of these things because we don't we don't take well to being oppressed as human exactly. beings. But somehow there's mm-hmm. this expectation when it comes to people of color that people of color are just supposed to be fucking patient and just take their oppression and just wait for the benevolence of white people to kick in. That shit don't work. Oh, yeah. And not only, you know, take the oppression, we're supposed to act happy and smile and dance and joke and just be happy to be oppressed. And, you know, the thing is, is that we're saying no, we're not forgiving. You know, we have no choice but to fight back. And, you know, now you got people acting as though they're worried. I'm like, you know, what are you worried about? And I'm like, you know, white people, you're going to have to make racism, white supremacy, you know, policies, all of that, you know, regarding, you know, systemic and institutionalized racism. You're going to have to make it one of your priorities, one of your top priorities. So that's the only way we're going to be able to get beyond this. You know, and like I said, you know, in order to end racism and, like and all of you got look, look, and think and think about this too, white people. I know you guys are sick of having the fucking conversations. You want to go and right. you want to listen to your, you want to go and listen to your music. You want to go see, you know, Imagine Dragon concerts and shit, and not have to deal with this, you know, Black Lives Matter shit. Well, think about how fucking tired we are. 
Exactly. You know what I mean? Think about exactly. that. Exactly. And see, and this is the thing, because, you know, I came down on the secular community a little bit last week. Not as hard as I could have, but I came down hard enough. And, you know, there are a lot of things that I agree with, but there are also a lot of things that I don't agree with. Somebody made a quote. I don't remember who this was, but I wrote it down. And it was talking about, you know, blacks in relation to religion. And I don't know who this was, I apologize, but they said, I have to disagree. The battle has been one-sided. Black people are suffering from victim fatigue. How long can you pray for your oppressors before you throw white Jesus under the bus and go all Old Testament on them? Well, I think that's a legitimate question. You know, and, you know, just trying to look at this from a number of perspectives. And like I said last week, you know, I know I have believers listening to this show, and I understand, you know, but you probably need to start looking at some of this a little bit differently because I believe, you know, that you've already been equipped with what's needed to 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 bring forth this change to help out. Because, you know, we've been conditioned to, you know, go and pray about it and leave that prayer in a prayer closet. And I know when, you know, I was younger and in church, we were told not to get caught up in politics. And, you know, there are some churches that teach their members not to vote and a number of other things. However, you know, just because you're not getting involved in politics and you may or may not be voting or, you know, you may not be out here active, you're still going to be affected just because you consider yourself separate from the world. That does not mean that this is not going to come to, you know, a friend or a loved one near you. And the way that it's happening now, you know, it looks like, you know, there's some type of race to see, you know, who can kill the most black people and get away with it. And so you can't you can't walk around thinking that it's never going to affect you. It does, whether it affects you directly or indirectly. So, you know, I'm not saying anything about you throwing your white Jesus under the bus and going all Old Testament on people. But, I mean, how many cheeks do you have to turn? When are you going to get tired? When are you going to fight back? I mean, it's already been made clear that your houses of worship are not safe. They're burning them down, you know, and, and just looking at what's happening, I'm, I'm scared about what's getting ready to happen. I mean, are we getting ready to start, you know, seeing lynching a lot more? Because we've had some incidents now. Don't get it twisted. You know, they had that Kenyan man in New Jersey, and there's been a few things that happened in North Carolina and a few, you know, several other places. So people are still being lynched except now they're categorizing it as a suicide. Oh, they strung themselves up like that. Really? So, you all, I'm like, you know what? <laughs> I have a story to tell you about that later. <laughs> I'll tell you later. <laughs> right, right. You know, so, I mean, I just want people to think about these things, you know, and like I said, you know, people want to, you know, Look, we just need for you to look at the bigger picture and see what's happening. 
and you need to pay attention to this conservative ideology slash theology that they're putting out there. Because, you know, I posted articles talking about white Christianity was rooted in racism, and it was, and it still is. So you need to understand that. But you also need to um, understand and look at white self-victimization, you know, and white terrorism. That's what we're experiencing. And so, you know, go out, do your research, <laughs> and, you know, see what's happening, you know, with all of this. And, oh, you know, I gave an excerpt about Hillary Clinton last week, just something that she said. And then she's going to turn around and go to a black church over there, um, not in Ferguson, but Florissant, Missouri, and she said, all lives matter. Yeah, what was, was problematic about Raina? <sighs> Kim, we've been over this. <laughs> but, you know, for those, for those of you guys at home, clearly, right. um, you know, if you can't say that all black lives matter when we're, when we're suffering loss of the black lives, you know, needlessly at the hands of white supremacists, if you can't say that, then, not, then all lives don't matter. No, fuck that. I don't care right. what you say. You're not for all lives. Because it wasn't white. No white people died in that church. No, no, these aren't white churches that are being burned down on your TV. These are black churches. It's not, you know, you know, no one's burning down the, the white citizen council's offices right now, but they're trying to burn down the NAACP ones, okay? So, you know, keep that exactly. in mind. Right, and that's why, you know, I ended up blocking somebody on my page a couple of weeks ago because, you know, I was talking about Black Lives Matter. I think I posted something, and he was like, nope, all lives matter. And I said, mm-hmm. if all lives matter we wouldn't have to say Black Lives Matter. And so, you know, then he wanted to argue about how blacks were more racist than whites. And I politely blocked him and deleted, you know, every post he made. You know, because if all lives matter, you know, we wouldn't be out here fighting. If if people really truly believe that, they would be out here fighting with us. And that's one of the issues that I have with the secular community. Because, again, you know, we have a strong libertarian, you know, um, culture or a strong libertarian foundation in this community. And, excuse me, and basically they don't give a shit about poor people. They don't give a shit about what's really happening out here. They don't care because it's not affecting them directly. It's not having a direct impact on them, even though it, it is, you know, more in an indirect way and in some cases direct. But, you know, if, if we're supposed to be a part of this community and whenever we talk about something we're interested in, it's called mission drift. But we're supposed to be lockstep in formation with you guys on what you're trying to achieve, which is social justice you know, just a different form of social justice, but it is social justice. My thing is, is that why should we support what you're trying to do? You're just trying to get regular white guy status back because you don't like this oppression. This oppression is hard, right? Mm-hmm. And it's just interesting because you have these small groups, you know, that are just, you know, serious microcosms of the population in the United States. And our population is quite a bit bigger than these, you know, other groups. And yet, you know, they don't they don't want to work with us to help us get things resolved. They throw us under the bus after they get what they want. 
And that's one of the reasons why I look at some of the atheists of color, especially some of the ones that, you know, will turn around and defend everything that, you know, people in this community do, especially the, you know, the um, professional atheists or the celebrity atheists. It's like they can do no wrong. They've been deified by quite a few people in this community. And when you speak out, then all of a sudden now you're the troublemaker. All of a sudden you're toxic. You know, you're all of these things because you're asking questions and you're presenting challenges, challenges that they don't want to deal with, challenges that, you know, how dare you just blindly follow me. And that's why when I do a comparative analysis of the, you know, the religious community and the secular community, I'm finding the same things, you know, and people in the secular community want to call religious people um, sheeple. That is what they refer to, you know, religious people as. And I've started calling, you know, a lot of people in the secular community that follow that same, you know, pattern, your lemmings. It's the same thing. You know, you see a bunch of lemmings and one jumps off, you know, the damn mountain. The other ones are just going to jump off, just follow right behind them. And so it's just interesting because, you know, you have some people out here that should be out here, um, you know, raising their voice, but they're not. Why? Because they don't care. As black and white and Latino and Asian and indigenous. And, you know, it's unfortunate. So anyway, um, it's just it's, it's interesting um, just talking about what's been happening. And someone gave a quote from Toni Morrison, and it was a speech that she gave in Portland, Oregon in 1975. And it says, it is, it's important to know who the real enemy is and to know the very serious function of racism, which is distraction. It keeps you from doing your work. It keeps you explaining over and over your reason for being. And that's what, you know, I feel like we're kind of caught up in a warp here. And, you know, that goes back to last week when, you know, Raina was talking about people asking us questions about what about black-on-black crime. And you see people trying to deflect the conversations. You see them trying to suppress the conversations. You know, I've seen people try to dominate. Oh, it's not a black and white thing. It's a class issue. And, you know, what's interesting is is that while I don't agree that it's necessarily a class issue, but when it comes to race and class, those conversations are generally suppressed in these communities because they don't want to deal with it. So, you know, what used to be, you know, black feminist theory, some kind of way, they factored out, you know, the race and the class, which takes away, you know, the teeth from some of these movements. And it's just interesting, and that's being done on purpose, you know. And like we said last week, you know, we need to start holding white males accountable because, you know, they're being told or basically when it happens, when they commit these crimes, you know, we're told they're lone wolves or, or you know, it must be a mental health issue and all of these things. And, I mean, if you have this many white men running around with mental health issues, then why are they loose? I don't get it. 
And why is mental health, you know, still stigmatized in this country? You know, why aren't these people getting the help that they need? You know, I mean, there have been several trials of, you know, black people. You know, they were indicted, and then, you know, they would have their IQ tested, and the IQ would be that of a child, and this is a grown person. Yet they were still given a death penalty and executed. So how does this work? Yeah. I think I actually you know, read um I think I actually read somewhere, um, you know, I think this was maybe even Clarence Thomas. He was the dissenting opinion in a case where there was a someone who was being, you know, who was supposed to be um you know, executed that had a uh you know, had been diagnosed with a mental health disorder. Or not a mental health disorder, but it was developmentally delayed, like severely developmentally delayed. And um, I think I think Clarence Thomas actually said that you know he could be faking it. And I was like, I mean, it's it's just crazy to me, like how we how people can justify these things for themselves. Like this man is, you know, has been faking his you know his developmental delay for his entire life. You know what I mean? Like, where does that make sense? You know? Mm-hmm. I don't know. <laughs> right. And, you know, it's just interesting because, like I said, when I look on my timeline, and, you know, I've been paying attention the past several weeks, and, you know, from some of the white atheists, humanists, non-believers, free thinkers, skeptics, anti-theists, whatever you call yourself, they have not made any reference to the Charleston shooting. They're, you know, going on at like, you know, life is grand or life as usual. And, you know, there are a few black people doing the same thing. And I'm like, you all need to pay attention to that. Because you have some people in this community, if you ask them about social justice, you you would swear that somebody just beat them with a bat. Mm-hmm. So they get angry. They don't want to talk about it. They don't care about it. None of that. Um, so there's, need- a great, there's a great hashtag on Twitter. I just wanted to um, share this with everybody. There's a great hashtag on Twitter called Teaching Racism. Um, they're talking about how, you know, how the way that we um, teach history in our schools in particular um, actually teaches and reinforces racism. Um you know, by teaching myths about the founding fathers and these myths about, um, you know, uh, that feed into patriotism and whatnot, um, you know, is that it definitely um, actually ends up teaching racism. So, right. Check it out. Exactly. Definitely. And one of the campaigns out here is no one, I mean, you're basically, we're not naming, you know, domestic terrorists, assassin. You know, um, we're not trying to give him any notoriety. So many of us, you know, because I was using one hashtag with his name in it, and so someone, you know, confronted me on it. So that's why, you know, I stopped using the hashtag with his name on it, and I won't even say his name. I'm like, take the notoriety, take the celebrity out of it, you know, and, and let's talk about the nine people whose lives were snatched away from them. You know, because you're going to have copycats out here. You know, this is a given. And, you know, again, since that has happened, we've had several black churches burned to the ground. 
you know, I posted a video about, you know, a church in Minnesota in which, you know, members carry firearms to church. And they're sprinkled all throughout the congregation because they are going to fight back. You know, and, you know, it's like I was telling Lena the other day, it's like, we can't go shopping, going to Walmart and get killed. You know, can't go swimming. They don't want us in a swimming pool. Can't go to church and worship or, you know, strategize because they're going to come up in there. And I'm like, you know, and there's a number of other things. I mean, hell, you can't walk down the street. Don't let there be two or three black people congregated having a conversation. Do you know that is considered by some as a mob? And people have been mm-hmm. charged with mob action because it was three or more in a group. And the police, you know, usually make them go away or, you know, nowadays they're just, you know, stop and frisk. So, I mean, you just you have to pay attention to what's happening. You know, one of the sentiments you know, that I've seen is people don't want us to call this Charleston massacre a tragedy. They want us to call it terrorism. And I agree. It is terrorism. Because for the life of me, you'll never be able to explain to me how walking down the street with a damn Black Lives Matter t-shirt and the sign, how that's considered domestic terrorism. But someone saying that they're starting a civil war and killing nine black people in cold blood, that's not terrorism, according to the FBI director. I'm not understanding that right now. You know, and we've talked about, you know, a number of different things. I was telling you guys during the black power movement, the civil rights movement, that phase of the civil rights movement, how, you know, they made some changes in the DSM. And, you know, I talked about the protest psychosis and how more people of color were being deemed as schizophrenic. And, you know, just pay attention. Pay attention. I'm going to have to finish reading that book because I actually want to do a show on that and see if we can get the author on. But, um, you know, we need to pay attention to what's happening. And we're having a lot of domestic terrorism in this country. You have people trying to sweep it under the rug, act like it's not happening, or or they'll come in and tell us that what we're saying is wrong, the way we're thinking about this is the wrong perspective. And that was one of the things that, you know, I talked about last week in regards to white allies, that, you know, there are many of them that want to come in and, you know, kind of white explain what we said. And, you know, again, you know, Part of that is, you know, it's still taking away our power. And that's why, you know, with many of these, you know, protests with the activists out there, that's one of the reasons why, you know, they kind of push, you know, the white people a little bit to the back because, you know, we we need to be able to speak of our own pain and, and speak about, you know, what's happening out here. And our allies are here to support us. You know, that is what you're here for. And, you know, it's just, you know, it's amazing. It's amazing. And like I said, you know, the summer hasn't even officially started. And I can only imagine what we're getting ready to deal with. And, you know, this will not be for the weak or the faint of heart. You know, and like I said, there are a lot of people who can't physically be out there. But, I mean, if you can send some first aid supplies, you know, give some money, because I posted the link for the Indiegogo for um, Bree Newsom, and basically, um, you know, any 
extra money is going to be used toward organizing. So if you all want to make a donation, that's fine. I've seen donations of a dollar. I've seen a donation of five dollars, ten, twenty, whatever you can give, so that these activists and these protesters can be supported. I mean, John Legend sent out food trucks. Him and his wife they sent out food trucks to the protesters in New York. You know, and I know that I've you know, donated, you know, a number of things, you know, especially here in Chicago and down in Ferguson. And so it's just interesting, but you, we have to do something. We're going to have to work together because this is, you know, what's interesting. Some of the same people who are out here not saying a word, especially black folks, not saying a word about Black Lives Matter and some of the ones that are out here telling people to go home and, you know, just let it go. They're going to be the first ones in line trying to reap some of the benefits, you know. And what's interesting about the Charleston 9 is that, you know, we had Al Sharpton and Jesse Jackson, they were down there, but their roles were, um, you know, it was very quiet. So they're not giving Al Sharpton and Jesse Jackson the spotlight, which is great because they were some of the same ones that were scolding and chastising the protesters and telling them to go home. And we already know the history of those two individuals, and you all know where I stand on that. I have some issues, some serious issues. But, you know, this is the thing. You know, there are too many people out here that just simply don't care about the people of color who are dying in the street. You know, you have Native Americans. It's horrible what's happening to them because it's like, you know, I know they, they appropriated the term. They were like, you know, Native lives matter, you know, and they do, you know. And, you know, Latino community is being affected greatly by this as well, you know, the Asian community and namely the black community. And, you know, our our people are being killed in the street. They're not being killed in the street. Like I said, you know, many of us experience premature death due to non-access of health care, you know, non-access to, um, you know, being able to attain gainful employment and a number of other issues. And we really need to take a look at this. We need to have a greater conversation about many different issues, you know, not about some damn flag. You know, we want the flag to come down, but we can't allow them to give us the flag, you know, to to pacify us, and then they don't want to talk about any of the other things. So, you know, we need to keep that in mind, you know, because some people out here that just absolutely, they, they don't care about the real causes, you know. They don't care about how psychiatric facilities are being closed and, you know, defunded and, you know, all of the things that are happening out here and how some of these jails are now being utilized as a mental health facility. That is a big problem here in Chicago, you know, and in other places. But, you know, there were several articles about Chicago and how the Cook County, you know, um, penal system is basically, you know, is is turned into a mental health care facility. And they're not Mm -hmm. trained to deal with that. You know, you have protesters here in Chicago protesting the closure of mental health care programs. Um, you know, it's, you know the defunding of it. It's, it's just horrible. We need to talk about these gun laws. I'm sorry. No one needs to be out here, you know, an average person with an M16 
fully automatic. No. What do you need that for? You know, and, you know, we need to talk about wealth inequality, you know, because that gap has gotten bigger. A lot of the wealth that the black community and the Latino community acquired over the past few generations, that, that pretty much was wiped out in 2007 and 2008. And we're still seeing, you know, um, the consequences of what happened then. And it's important for you all to realize that, you know, you know, there are people that have been living in some of these homes for several generations, and now they're losing their homes. And we also need to look into these tax lien um, sales because that's also a problem. Um, we definitely need to talk about white supremacy. We need to talk about lack of educational resources, lack of economic viability, and that's important. You know, because one thing that happened in Chicago, now people can say what they want about Kanye West, and I've said some things, and I'm going to say some more things about him. But him and Common, they contributed some money to some programs in the city. They got some of these young people jobs. And with that, crime went down. You know, a lot of things, you know, a lot of positive developments from these young people being able to have jobs or, you know, being able to go to school. I mean, they're, you know, Kanye and Common. They also put together some scholarship programs. Magic Johnson did as well. As a matter of fact, Magic Johnson put together a GED program, and you can take it online, you know. And so it's just it's interesting. It's a lot of things that are a lot of resources out here. The problem is not a lot of people know about it. And this is why I post a lot of the things that I post. I mean, I've had people ask me, why are you posting this? And people criticizing, you know, some of the things that I post. But, you know, a lot of this stuff people need to know. And, you know, I don't necessarily agree with everything that I post, but it's usually something in there that I want you to see. And the only reason why, you know, I don't put any comments on there is because I'm not trying to influence you know, I'm not trying to get a lot of chembots out there. That's not what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to avoid that. I want you to be your own individual, have your own thoughts, and, you know, be able to put together a well-thought-out argument against whatever it is you're against. But, you know, there are a number of things that we need to talk about. We need to talk about the ability to open up small businesses, so small business loans and grants. You know, that needs to be talked about, you know, the inability to get mortgages that goes back to redlining and how, you know, people of color have been forced to live in certain neighborhoods. And, you know, I've posted articles about how in some of those neighborhoods you may have, you know, trash dumps or have issues with the sewers so, you know, the water collects and in this dirty water and, you know, just you know, environmental justice. That is one of the things that we definitely need to tackle because um, I was talking to one of our white allies over the weekend and we were discussing, you know, environmental justice. And basically, you know, um, they were talking about how, you know, communities of color and poor communities, how they're going to be affected and how nobody is really sounding the clarion call. And we know this. We've talked about this. And 
they're going to, let's just say, let some of these communities suffer, so then they'll be able to have everything fixed up when it comes to, you know, wealthier communities and mainstream people. So, you know, we need to pay attention to all of that. And, you know, it's like we just have to pay attention because, you know, we've lost the majority of our wealth. And, you know, you have people out here that's blaming everybody and anything but the real cause. And we've, you know, we have to see what role we play, but we need to attack the real cause. And it's important, you know, that we understand that. So, I mean, hey, I'm just laughing because this country goes all over the world to protect everyone from foreign threats. But when it comes to the black community and the native community and the Latino and Asian communities being attacked by domestic terrorism, you know, domestic terrorists, you know, the attitude is, you know, hey, what can you do? You know, the very lackadaisical attitude. Because because it because it all it all it all it doesn't it doesn't harm the status quo to kill right. black people. Doesn't harm the status quo. Doesn't when you burn a black church. It doesn't. I mean, it doesn't. It doesn't violate the status quo because the status quo, the state favors the elimination of of black people, of people of color, of poor people. It, it it locks them up because and the only reason that the state locks us up at the rate that it does, rather than kill us at the rate that it does, is because. If it killed us at the rate that that it incarcerates us, that people would would be you know aghast, they would be horrified. Right. So it locks us away because that is seen as being somehow more acceptable. Exactly, exactly, and that's true. You know, and just like with this Charleston massacre, the domestic terrorist assassin, you know him. And, you know, a number of other white male terrorists that we've had in this country. Have you all ever paid attention to the fact that they tried to, you know, uh, soften the blows, you will, for these people? Oh, he likes music. He likes boating. You know, he makes dresses for underprivileged children, you know. (laughs) And, and, And they try to make these people human and show the human side of the human element to it. But if, if if the, you know, perpetrator was a black person, we're just criminals and thugs and animals and subhuman and all of these things. Mm-hmm. Why is that, folks? And why aren't we accepting it? Well, you know, there's a lot of us pushing back now. It's more and more people pushing back, and that's, you know, that's wonderful. And actually, that's happened- interesting that you bring that up because, um, I said I said earlier that you know that 150 year old trope that you know Dylan um, Ross was carrying around with him. Part of that is this notion that black people are. Um, he actually says it in his manifesto. You know how can we have different physiology, different body structures, and not have different and different skin colors and not have different brains? Now where he got this different body structures, <laughs> different physiologies thing is 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 beyond me, but. Um, because everyone differs in some respect, you know, biologically right. speaking. That's that's why we look different, <laughs> you know what I mean, for right. example. But, you know, he had this idea that black people had a, 
a lower IQ and that we all have greater amounts of testosterone and therefore we're more prone to violence. And, um, but the whole thing about that is, is like, how does one even justify that as being true? Like, for real, like, if black people were really that friggin' violent, like, how did we, how were we enslaved for 400 some odd years? You know what I mean? That makes absolutely no sense. Like, if we were really all that violent, then they would have never, then then we would have never survived. We would have never survived. We would have all been killed. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, it's, it's just, well, some of these people out here believe, and you're right, you know, they're old tropes that, you know, get trotted out all the time. And, and they bring them you know, out on, on CNN and all these other stations all the time. Like this guy and 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 here in DC that burned the the um the house down and killed that um the parents and the ten year old child and their housekeeper, you know, they're like they're like going to great lengths to talk about how evil this act was. And I and no doubt, like I think I think you gotta you kinda have to be a little evil you know, to walk into a house and, you know, uh, into somebody's house and, you know, kill them and their child, you know, a 10-year-old who hasn't done anything to anyone. I think certainly there has to be an amount of evil in that situation. But I also have to wonder, like, I mean, obviously where while money, it seems, was was a partial motivation, like at the same time, I have to think that there was something else going on in this person, you know, something mentally unstable or unbalanced, and yet, you know, no one has explored that as a possible, um, a possible reason for his, or motivation for his actions, but, you know, Dylan Ross, like, he's just a troubled kid, and I'm like, what the hell, are you serious? Like, I don't know right. where, where we, where, where we have, like, it is so interesting that we have these really interesting, like, socioeconomic, or, um, discussions about, white young uh, young white males who can't seem to get it together right and how you know that leads them to you know uh, exploring you know various different ideologies and you know different uh, ways of, of obtaining money or resources because they can't find them in the job market you know we can, right. we can talk about have these really deep interesting conversations about that when it comes to like white males and they're failing, and, you know, when they fail, you know, to thrive. But when it comes to, like, black people who have, like, all of these institutional barriers and just, you know, person-to-person racism happening and prejudice going on, that when we can't find these things and, and some of us turn to crime as a result, there is no understanding. There is no complexity. There is nothing. Right. Exactly. Exactly. You know, and... It's just amazing because it's like people, unfortunately, a lot of Americans have the attention span of a gnat, you know, because these things are being done on purpose. Don't forget in Wisconsin when they attacked the six, you know what I mean? And, you know, the people that died in, in that terrorist attack as well, you know, so it's it's just, it's you know, the xenophobia. You know, we have to address that. But unfortunately, you have too many apathetic people out here. And, you know, the apathy that I've seen in the secular community is just, you know, it floors me. It's mind-boggling. Mm-hmm. And these are some of the same people that would point to religious folks and say, well, why aren't you doing anything? 
So the question to them is, why aren't you doing anything? Well, we don't have to. You know, well, you feel like you don't have to. So if you don't have to, what makes them have to? You know, and so it's just, it's crazy. It's crazy. And, oh, yeah, going back to the domestic terrorist assassin, he didn't do this by himself. We said this last week. I'm going to say it again today. Who was taking those damn pictures? He was posing all over the place like he was going to be in GQ and shit. And I'm like, somebody, he did not do this alone. Damn right. You know, so, you know, we, you know, we have to step back. And, you know, we may not ever get the answer to that question because it already seems like they're trying to start covering shit up now. Mm-hmm. You know, and so um, white people out here, you need to start paying attention because we talked about last week the apartheid in, Is- in Israel and the Dominican Republic. And we even, you know, the United States is in an apartheid state as well. Talked about that a little bit last week, but people aren't paying attention. What um, I would advise you guys to do: Google Noam Chomsky, Ronald Reagan, Black People, Slavery, and read that article. And it will talk There's about another article the- too that came out from the from Salon. I think I posted it on my wall. Let me see if I can go grab that for you real quick. Um, it basically referred to an older article. Um, written by, I think, Michael Royko. And Michael Royko, uh, he said that, you know, uh, we, captured the, we captured the assassin, but, there's, uh, but millions of murderers remain out there. And I guess what, and, and what he was basically saying was is that while there was one person who pulled the, you know, the trigger, that that person basically was supported by all of the white people out there who, you know, um, reviled, you know, King for what he was trying mm-hmm. to do. Um, the ones that, that, you know, opposed him, you know, in their, in their words, you know, talked about it in, in their, you know, barbershops and whatnot, you know? And um, right. so it's, it's something that you have to um, keep in mind. It's the same thing with Dylan Ross, you know, is what the Salon article argues that, um, you know, yeah, we captured Dylan Ross, but, you know, they, there are millions of other people who have blood on their hands, you know? Right. Exactly. Post that on my wall, please, mm-hmm. so that they can, you know, get access to it. And I'll repost it for the ones who may not be able to see what Raina posts on my wall. So, you know, it's, it's a lot of things that are happening. I'm going to give you a quote from Jelani Cobb, who's also, yeah, well, anyway, I'll give you a quote from Jelani Cobb. He said, the existential question of who is black has been answered in the most concussive way possible. The men and women slain as they prayed are black. The community from which they came is black. The people who know and recognize this in the longer grasp of American history and personal recall are indisputably black. You know, and we're talking about the terrorism that, you know, we're experiencing. And not just with, you know, the domestic terrorist assassin, just across the board. I mean, we deal with this in corporate America. We deal with this in a nonprofit industrial complex. We deal with this, you know, with prison. I mean, just across the board. 
You know, you have some people out here, black and white, and, you know, they, they like to talk shit, talking about it's racism everywhere. You know, they act like race. You know, every time they turn around the corner, they see racism. Yes, it is. But, you know, it's, it's like racism affects everything that we do. You know, one of the benefits of white privilege is you don't have to think about it. You don't have to see it. That's why when, you know, one some of the lists that I posted out there about how white people can be, you know, great allies or what have you, is you have to assume that racism is everywhere. And you have to learn how to look for these things. And so, you know, um, there was a quote from Claire Bayard, right? And it says, for those of us white people living in this time and place, who think that in apartheid South Africa we would have actively opposed white supremacist rule, who think that if we'd been alive during the civil rights era, we'd, we'd have been freedom riders or at least supported the sit-ins, if you would have actively condemned the Birmingham church bombing as a terrorist act, don't sleep on this moment we live in now in which you too are able or which you two are being called to take a stand. Mm-hmm. So in essence, don't sleep on this. Don't mm-hmm. sleep on this. And so, um, you know, this is another quote. I don't know where this came from. I apologize. But it says, white people in the United States of America need to think long and hard about why a 20-something-year-old white man would go into a black church and kill people that never did him any harm. They need to think about the poison that's filling the souls of their children. They need to ask themselves how a person so young could be filled with so much hate. They need to ask themselves how much more unbearable do they want it to be and where do they think it will take us as a nation. And, you know, you have Fox News and CNN is just as bad as Fox, you know, with some of the crap mm-hmm. they're putting out there. You know, I won't even talk about Don Lemon and his little sign, what he put out there. You know, the only thing I can think about is Langston Hughes. And Langston Hughes told us that there would be people like Don Lemon and basically called him a troll. So, you know... Um, you know, it's, it's just interesting, but yeah, I would, you know, advise you guys to go back and read some links with you and, you know, to kind of put some of that in perspective. And, you know, again, like I said, I know I have believers that listen to the show and, you know, look, I understand, you know, some, for some people, it gives them hope. It gives them relief. You know, some, you know, going to church for some people it gives them some peace and tranquility. They get to escape all of the crap that they have to deal with when they leave that building. I understand, you know, the religious experience means different things to different people. You know, but, you know, like I said, I used to be amongst you. And, you know, I was praying and waiting on this Jesus with you guys. And we've been in this country over 400 years. And we've been praying and waiting and laying prostrate and, you know, going in our, you know, our prayer closet and travailing and and doing all of these things over 400 years in this country, asking Jesus and God to help us. Maybe you already have the power. Like I said, you're already equipped. We just need for you to start looking at this a little bit differently. 
because, you know, like I said, I know it's a lot of fear there. And I understand. I understand fear. You know, there are some things that I fear. You know, I look at things a lot differently now. You know, I, I don't fear a lot. But, you know, there are a couple of things that I do fear. And, you know, it's like this. Doing nothing can get you killed. But at least if you're fighting back, you know, you know, you feel like you've accomplished something. And, you know, when I say fight back, I'm like, even with history, there's, there's, I forgot, it's going to be some readings coming up on Twitter um, next week. And I'll post that on my wall. But, you know, they're loading up, you know, the pundit academic, you know, she's putting that up there. And I'll put it on my Facebook wall because I retweeted it yesterday. But, um, you know, we've been trying to support one another, you know, for those that, you know, blow off social media. Social media has been instrumental. You know, go to the hashtag Charleston Syllabus, and you will find a lot of resources to help you understand, you know, what has happened in Charleston and the history behind it and a lot of other information. You know, I remember when that first came out, um, Dr. Chris Cameron posted it, and I just thought it was phenomenal, you know, because it was like a crowdsourced syllabus. And it's phenomenal. I mean, you know, people have been retweeting that all over the place. So the hashtag is Charleston Syllabus. So you can learn a lot from that. You know, even with our hashtags, we have the hashtag POCBF, again, POCBF, and then we have the hashtag Black Freethinkers, all one word, Black Freethinkers. So you can find a lot of information there as well. You know, a lot of people don't realize that those hashtags are like a bibliography. And you can find a lot of information, you know, go out there and look at some other stuff outside of, you know, that. But, you know, you have a lot of older people that are scared and, you know, they're trying to sugarcoat what's happening out here. You're going to have to stop doing that. You're going to have to stop sugarcoating. All this sugarcoating, all it has done was make your children and your grandchildren more vulnerable. And I don't think that was what you were trying to do. And I understand you have parents and grandparents, and you were trying to protect your children, you know, your offspring from, you know, what we're dealing with now. And it's just amazing because it reminds me when, you know, reminds me of when we first had the protests in Ferguson, how, you know, one person on Twitter, they were talking about, how their grandmother was watching the television and she was just crying and crying and she asked her grandmother why and she said, we fought so that you wouldn't have to. And that's still, you know, that's still chilling for me. I still get goosebumps when I think about that. And like I said, I think we've done these children a disservice, you know, and this is why I'm telling some of the older people, you just need to get out the way. Support the best that you can. But it's time for some of us just to plain and simply get out of the way because there's no sugarcoating this bullshit. You know, um, you, Occupy Wall Street was started because you had, you know, young urban professional whites who became, you know, um, disheartened by the, you know, by the system, by, you know, what was happening in this country. They didn't see a future for themselves. 
So you know, if young white people don't see a future for themselves, can you imagine what some of these young black people are seeing and how they're feeling? And so this is where, where you know, where some of this is stemming from. You know, but I mean, the thing is, is that if you're too scared to do anything, too fearful or too conditioned, you know, to do anything, just step to the side. Step to the side. No judgment. Just shut up and go away. You know, so, I mean, you know, it's like this. If we plan on having a true... Huh? (laughs) I said, I'm judging you. (laughs) Okay. I'm judging you. (laughs) <laughs> hey, judge me. It's all good. It's all good. I'm judging hey, you. I'm, judging, I'm not judging you. I'm just talking about the people that you're talking about. I'm judging you. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Definitely. You know, like I said, just get out the way. And if we're going to have true and lasting peace in this country, we have to be prepared to do what we need to do to defend ourselves. You know, and like I said, that can be with history. That can be with information. And there, there are a number of different ways that you can defend yourself against the unthinkable. But trust me, you know, there are going to be more lynchings. We're going to see more riots. You know, um, you know, you see that they're invading sacred spaces. You know, not only the black church, like I said, when they went to the, you know, the Sikh temple, S-I-K-H, you know, and they killed them. That was, a, what's, what's that, like two years ago? It was either two or three years ago because it was out in Wisconsin. And not just and that, but I, they but they killed the they killed that um the um the the reproductive clinic doctor right the family yep. home clinic doctor in his own church and yep. and the, uh, a lot of people don't re- recognize that the um the anti choice movement is actually a lot of it is also tied into the white supremacist movement as well. So um, that's something else to keep in mind. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, so, you know, we need you all to pay attention to that because, like I said, sacred spaces, you know, used to be a point in time where, you know, if if you were having a naughty conversation. It was never that way for black people, though. It was never that way for black people, though. That's true. That's true. And, you know, they're being desecrated because of white supremacy. So, I mean, for the believers out there, you're going to have to find a way to balance out your faith and self-defense. You're going to have to. You're going to have to find a way to balance that out. And like I said, we just need for you all to start looking at some of these things a little bit differently, you know. And so it doesn't matter where you're located. It doesn't matter if you think you're a good person. It doesn't matter how much you've given to the community. None of that. You know, when they decide that, you know, they want to terrorize you and your family, they're going to do it. And like I said, your white allies, they ain't going to be able to save you. You know, they're not going to be able to, you know, it's like, you know, I had a, you know, a conversation, it was an inbox conversation, and this person was frustrated with, you know, some of the replies that they get back from white allies, you know, saying, well, they just give up, you know, they don't see any point in even trying and all of that, and they don't even realize that's white privilege. You don't have to try. You don't have to think about it. You don't have to live it. But there are ways that you can help us start, you know, stop this, you know. And so it's just, it's, it's you know, 
you know, I was at a loss for words last week. And I'm still somewhat at a loss of words because it's like, you know, it's going to be more of this happening. This is being made very clear, you know, and a lot of this is tied to certain websites. It's tied to Fox News and a number of other things. You all need to pay attention. And, you know, why did this domestic terrorist assassin feel that it was okay to go inside of a black church and kill nine people? called white supremacy. And I've talked about how, you know, the black church actually, certain- actually it's not so much it's not so much that he felt okay doing that. It's that he he knew he couldn't walk his ass into a black community as a single black per as a single white person to try to shoot up a block. He actually wrote that in his manifesto. <laughs> yeah, he, he 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 had a feeling that he wasn't gonna make it if he tried to go into a black neighborhood and try to challenge some black people. Um, he he had a feeling that wasn't gonna work out too well, so he went to the church figuring that it was safer, which in fact he was right. But you know, I'm just saying he knew he knew he knew where not to go. <laughs> Right, exactly. You know, and mm-hmm. we, a lot of people who consider the black church as one of the last standing vestiges or, or, or shields from white supremacy. And, you know, that that's somewhat true, but not so much. Because, you know, they've always bombed black churches. They've always burned down black churches. You know, this has been happening, but now it's starting to pick up. And it's like, you know, like I said, we can't go to the store. We can't walk down the block. We can't go take a swim. You know, you know, we can't go to church. We can't do anything. Nothing. They just want us to just sit there, do nothing, and die. Why is this okay with you? I don't understand. I don't understand. And so, you know, it's just, you know, I'm just looking at it and, you know, I just see some of this as an attack on black folks. Um, and, and let me let me qualify that. Because I've had people, like I say, come on my wall and say this had nothing to do with race and to leave race out of it. And, look, the dude Are said you it was serious? about what, what the yes. hell? I wish, I right. wish somebody would. I wish they would. <laughs> Don't tell me that bullshit. For real. Right, right. But I'm not the one. I think, I think, I think most people know. See, I think that's why most people come to you with that shit, Kim, because you are way more tolerant than me. Because I said a lot of shit you down. Well, I mean, they got the boot. You know, you know me. You know, I may go. I back know, but I'm just saying. I said, a, I said a lot of shit down. That's why they don't. They don't. They come to you. They try you because they think you're nice. So see, <laughs> you see, we're nice, got me. But anyway, so, so, yeah, it's interesting because, you know, you have a lot of people out here and, you know, their messages are changing. It's changing from Black Lives Matter to Black Lives Seek Revenge. So we, like I said, you need to get trained. I will give you all that information as soon as COVID has it and I'll put it out there. There's no show next Sunday. No show next Sunday. Why? Because I don't want to do one next Sunday. So, 
no show next Sunday. It's the 4th of July what weekend. You celebrate? I know you're not celebrating no Independence Day. So. Uh-uh. No, 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 no. Uh-uh. No, no, no. That project that I was telling you about. You oh, know, yeah, so, yeah, the other uh, project. Uh-huh. I know what you mean. Yeah. So, yeah. So, um, yes, yeah, a lot going on. You know, again, you know, I'm not sure if you all went out or not, but National HIV Testing Day, you know, that was a great success. Um, like I said, we sponsored a plot in the community garden. I need to go and take some more pictures so you all can see from where it went to to where it is now to show you all some of the progress on that and a number of other things that, you know, we're working on in the background. As a matter of fact, um, you know, I had someone contact me about an estate and they have furniture and books and a lot of things available. And so I'm going to go out there and take a look and then call up some domestic violence shelters and, you know, coordinate with them to kind of come out there and take some of the furniture, put it in storage so that some of the women that are, you know, starting their lives over, they'll have a little something. And, you know, this was, you know, a wealthy white man. So, you know, so you know, I'm sure that it's a lot of nice, heavy, probably even antique furniture in there. So when I go and take a look, I'll take some pictures and, like I said, um, if you have a domestic violence shelter or a homeless shelter, you can reach out to me, blackfreethinkers at gmail.com, and I'll put you on a short list of people that want to give the opportunity to come pick up, you know, these things that are needed so that people can start their lives over. So I think that's a wonderful, wonderful thing. So, you know, uh, once I get that situated, I will let you guys know about it. You know, so, you know, I want to give a hand clap to those because, to those people, because there's no need to throw that out. Um, you know, some of that stuff is, you know, valuable. They may be able to put it on, um, you know, eBay and they can get money for the state, but they really just, they're just trying to get rid of it. So, anyway, it's just interesting, you know, going back to the subject at hand. You know, you have a lot of people out here, black and white, that are trying to explain away what this domestic terrorist assassin did. And, you know, they're trying to say race is a social construct. Okay, we understand that in theory. But, you know, you're telling me this. Why didn't that, you know... And, and the whole thing terror- is, and the whole thing is, is like now white people are using that shit to their advantage. Okay, but what about the thousand plus years that y'all were subjugating us? You know what right. I mean? Like... Exactly. Really? Like, y'all don't get, I mean, not, well, not 1,000 years, but y'all know what I mean. It was closer to 1,000 years than not, okay? Y'all started coming in Africa, what, the 1,200s? You know what I mean? Like, get out of here. Right. You know? So, like, y'all yeah. don't get to say that shit now. Y'all been practicing racism for the longest time, still practicing racism. And then when right. to us talking about it's a racial construct, so that, to tell us that we don't need to identify that way. Why? So we can identify with you? So that we can so that we can actively engage in our own oppression? Come on exactly. now. But see, this is the thing. Most of white America wants Jim Crow and the Civil Rights Movement. They won't even acknowledge that. You know, we'll, you know, taking it even back further, you know, the um, Reconstruction, you know, the Black Codes, you know, I mean, they won't even admit the terrorism of that. We've been terrorized since we've come here. You know, even we though were some terrorized of us were, before we come here. 
and race racism is tethered, it's tied. You know, so you know, so hey, um, you know, to our dear white friends who think it's their job to tell black people how to think, feel, or use language, you know, today, yesterday, or tomorrow, we see you. We're paying attention. We see you, and we see what you're doing. So, you know, that's why I'm rethinking this allyship, you know, rethinking a lot of stuff, you know, and rethinking, you know, what's happening in this secular community. Like I said, apathy is just disgusting, absolutely pathetic. And that's not just white atheists, it's the black ones too, especially the black ones. Right. You know, some of these people, you know, they're going to continue to be apathetic until someone guns Big Mama down. You know, and don't nobody have her, you know, potato salad recipe, right? So, I mm. mean, you know, it's just it's crazy. You know, and so, yeah, you know, stop it. Stop telling us how to think. Stop telling us, you know, how to, you know, progress. All of that. Stop telling me what kind of language to use when we're talking about white racial supremacy. You know, because, you know, it's the most insidious form of domestic terrorism. You know, it's evading black life. And then I'm sitting here because I don't, you know, some of them have the nerve to get angry and indignant. How dare you? What makes you think you have the right to get angry and indignant or personally offended by black people when we when we vent our anger, when we have our rants and we criticize and we judge? You don't have the right, you can be as mad as you damn want to, but you don't have the right to tell us, you know, what to talk about, how to talk about it, what should be. No, you don't get to do that. You know, so, I mean, if you're going to be a real ally, a true ally, you know, the best advice I can give you is to shut the fuck up and listen and empathize. You can mourn with us. You can get mad at the anti-black violence all around the world, especially in this country. Or you can just go ahead and, you know, delete yourself from my life. Because I'm just fucking done with this shit. I'm tired of talking about the same shit over and over. See, you know, you all talk about it. We live this shit every day. Mm-hmm. You know, so, and then when, we're, yeah, when we say that, all my life. And I know it better than Rachel Dolezal. So there. Hey, now, you know, but see, the thing is, is that another thing that pisses me off is when we charge racism, we're being told that we're too sensitive or, you know, we're being paranoid and all of these things. Any way to diminish how we feel, you know, and so I'm just sitting here, you know, for the people that are making excuses, especially for the domestic terrorist assassin, look, he killed an 87-year-old woman. You know, you want to come to me and tell me, well, we should be, you know, we should have sympathy for him and, you know, you all should forgive him and all of that. Look, you know, I don't want you talking to me about no damn healing, forgiveness, or mercy. He didn't give a shit when he killed that 87-year-old woman or the other eight people in that church. 
you know, so it's just, it gets me because, you know, you have some people out here who expect better from us or try to hold us to a higher standard or to a higher accord, but they want to give these other folks a pass. That's bullshit. And, you know, like I said, we got we to gotta start talking about this. You know, this white terrorism, this racial terrorism, these, you know, you know, domestic terrorists. It's gone unabated for over 500 fucking years, 1492 to the present. Unabated, unchallenged, pretty much unopposed. We talked about how there were black towns, wealthy black towns, you know, in cities, you know, dispersed within the United States and how they were basically torn down, burned down by jealous, poor white folks. And, you know, they would put these edicts, they would nail them to the church door. And these, some of these white pastors would go and show them where all the black people live. You know, so I'm like, you know, white supremacy created this problem. You know, and it took me a while to accept that. I have some friends, we would go back and forth. Even Raina and I used to go back and forth. And like I said, to know better is to do better. You know, because I know some people say, you know, she's always talking about all these books. And, you know, I do have a shitload of books, but that's because I want to learn. I want to do better. I want to share that information with you guys so that you too can do better. But, I mean, it's all a choice. So, um, again, huh, you know, it's, it's just it's mind-boggling. You know, and just some of the behavior, especially like I see, you know, in this community. And, um, you know, most of these people are too cowardly to admit fault. So, you know, they call themselves accumulating wealth, and then they blame the lowly others. They're sociopaths. So, anyway, um... You know, the white domestic terrorist assassin, he didn't act by himself. He wasn't one bad apple. He was not a good kid gone bad. He is a soldier of the entire evil regime. Mm-hmm. And we need to acknowledge that. A, a regime that is responsible for starting the United States. I mean, South Carolina, South Carolina basically made it. Uh, made sure that you know the um, that the language in the um, in the you know constitution was such that black people were not you know that um, abolition or the freedom of slaves would not be an issue going forward. That was one of the things that South Carolina is is known for. You know what I mean? So we live in a country that was started by slavery, that was built on slavery, that made its wealth on slavery, and um, continues to make its wealth based on, um, you know, well, white people to earn its wealth based on inequality, um, you know. And and again, now it's actually the South is actually making a resurgence, uh, resurgence as um, an economic um, force because of of the inequality that's been fostered for the last several decades. So, yeah. And there are companies exactly. that are moving south to take advantage of the of 
depressed wages and uh, and what have you. So you should uh, keep exactly. an eye on that. Oh, yeah. And, you know, for those of you that are out there paying attention, PPP passed. And you need mm-hmm. to go out there. I have an article somewhere, and it gives you some of the finer points for people who kind of nod off during some of these discussions about, you know, micro and macroeconomics. So, you know, I'll post that as soon as I find it, probably after I go get something to eat, and I'll call you, Raina, on my, when I'm on my way out the door. But, um, you know, you all need to pay attention, and you need to get a better understanding how TPP is going to affect you. You know, um, you know TPP is like NAFTA on speed. Mm-hmm. So, you yeah, know. I'm, um, I'm getting ready to, to get out of here, actually. Um a thing to a thing to keep in mind too is that um Congress is gonna to have to vote on TPP eventually. That this is just you know, this this just gives the president authority to negotiate TPP without um without interference from Congress in terms of Congress voting on amendments and whatnot. So um at right. this point, um at this point he he may or may not actually end up being the president that puts TPP in front of Congress. It may end up being the very next president, which is um, something that we also need to think about, which is why we all should vote, um, because we have no idea who that person will be at this point. But, um, you know, there's still a chance that we can can prevent this from going forward. Um, But we all have to do our part, and part of that is voting. So keep that in mind. Exactly. So... I'll post that information when I get back home um, about TPP because it just gives you some of the bare bones um, about what's happening. But TPP is, you know, all I got to say is I feel sorry for some of the younger generations that are going to have to live and work through the shit that's getting ready to come their way. And I feel bad for these babies. And hopefully they won't have to deal with a lot of racism in addition to, you know, the economic, you know, stronghold that's about a stranglehold that's about to come over this country. But, you know, we've got to work on these, you know, collectively and concurrently. We're smart enough to work on, you know, several of these issues at the same time. So anyway, I'm done talking about this. This is Dear White Allies Part 2. You can go back out to the archives and enjoy part one. Um, We had, um, you know, great reception to part one. So thank you guys um, for those that are listening to the archives. Um, I appreciate it. And, oh, yeah, I'm telling people to send me emails. I haven't checked my email in over a month. You know, I've been dealing with so much crap on my end that the last thing I needed was, you know, to read some type of email that would set me off even more. So anyway, um, Raina, my darling, you enjoy your Sunday afternoon. And those of you that are tuned in, we appreciate you. We thank you. And this is Kim with Black Free Thinkers, and we are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself, not convert you. Now, don't take what we said today on this show lightly. Don't take it lightly. All right, take care.